aloha from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner, your host for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School today. And every Sunday at about this time, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock in the East, it's 20 hours universal time. And uh, pleasure to be with you. It's a beautiful day in Maui today, and I hope a nice day wherever in the world you happen to be. Whether you're listening to us live today or maybe by podcast or uh, streaming audio, appreciate it. We're going to talk about the uh, secret uh, symbols of sacred knowledge, why they've been secret, what is secret about them. We'll talk a little about the mystery schools of the ancient times, uh, pre-Christian or actually the mystery schools of a time before prophets and before religions, when there was a general consensus that was represented symbolically. And we'll focus on some of those symbols and describe some of those symbols, the symbols of sacred knowledge, for you today in this webinar. Also in the premium training that follows, we'll we'll go into depth for about 90 minutes beginning at one thirty Pacific today. And uh, we'll also talk about some of the concepts and understandings behind the symbols. After all, the whole idea of using symbols is to make a concept memorable, to represent paragraphs or pages, volumes even, of information in a single glyph or icon that uh, then can be passed on. And even if the information is lost, there's something about the symbol itself that intuitively suggests this concept or that. So that's what I plan for the day today in both the uh, free forum, this webinar, which, as I say, is tuition-free and also podcast streaming on our website at theagelesswisdom.com. And the T-H-E is part of it after the W's. It's theagelesswisdom.com. Before I begin, I also want to invite you to our social net. We have our own social net. It's uh, small but growing. It's about, uh, I think, 257 people at this point. And it's a lot like Facebook, only everybody there, and there's people from all around the world. Every continent is represented in these few hundred people. But these are men and women who are interested in personal and spiritual development. And so it's like Facebook in that we have a a wall, if you will, for discussion threads. We have a blog, so you can start a discussion thread or comment on somebody else's posting. You can write your own blog or comment on a blog that somebody else wrote. There's also live chat and uh, also a place for videos. And some of the videos that have been posted are Actually, (laughs) the majority of videos that have been posted at our social net are really very, very good. It's like if you enjoy watching YouTube, you'll love seeing what other members of this site have decided are some of their favorite 
YouTube or Vimeo or Hulu type videos. And they're all there for you along with a bunch of very cool uh, photos or JPEGs. And you can post to that as well. Free to join, free to use, and it's ad-free too, except for a banner upon this glass. And so uh, we'd like you to check it out. All you have to do is add the letters N-I-N-G to our website address. So the regular website address is the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. And then the social net is the w's.theagelesswisdom.ning.com. And like Nancy, N-I-N-G, Ning. Theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Go ahead and sign up and uh, sign in and play around and have some fun with other folks. Reach out. You can friend other people and uh, meet some very, very cool people at the uh, Ageless Wisdom Social Net. All right. So the symbols of sacred knowledge. You know, just to talk about the symbols, if we focus on Christianity or the Judeo-Christian philosophy or lineage of religions, because uh, just as the Catholic Church, so-called in Rome, in a sense, broke off from Judaism and still has the Jewish Bible or so-called Old Testament in its uh, larger book called the Bible. Then there were many other groups that spun off of that official Catholic Church, that Christian Church based in Rome most notably the Protestant churches. And then they began to break up into dozens of other organizations. You know, it could be the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Pentecostalists. (laughs) There's, There's dozens and dozens of types of Christians and Even in the Catholic Church, there are some major divisions, of course. And uh, there are Jews that think you should be Christian and Christians who have converted back to Judaism. And, of course, there are universalists. There are still many people that describe themselves as spiritual but not really that religious. They they tend to draw on the spiritual philosophies that, that stand over all religions, but they find the religion itself has become too dogmatic, uh, too crystallized, too inflexible for their own tastes. I think a lot of the people that listen to this webinar every Sunday, or as often as you do, are people like this who would describe themselves probably as spiritual but not religious women and men who are interested in better understanding, uh, discovering, and developing who they really are as individuals. And that has a spiritual component because we, as we explore ourselves, we discover that there is this feeling, this awareness or consciousness, this longing or urge within us that causes us to feel connected 
to everyone else, and indeed, as you develop that sense, to everything else as well. And so the ancient concept that there is but one life and that divinity is in all things, nothing really could stand outside of divinity itself, that God is a totality of existence, perhaps. And this can be called mysticism, but it has so many other names that collectively we, today anyway, are going to look at how it really represented the view of early Christians and that something happened hundreds of years after Christ walked this earth, after Christ was, as the story goes, crucified and resurrected. There were Christians for hundreds of years before there was a Catholic church for uh, 1,400 years before there was any Protestant or Protestant movement breaking away or reforming Christian churches. And the beliefs of these ancient Christians, these early-day Christians, were in many significant ways very, very different than what Christians believe today. In three areas that I'm going to describe through symbology, a little bit in this free forum and then in depth in the premium training that follows in about 15 minutes or so. Those three ways are, number one, the pre-existence of the soul. Catholics and Protestants have many, many differences, but one thing they agree on is, generally anyway, is the idea that upon conception— God fashions a new soul and tucks it inside that, well, depends on your belief system, inside the fertilized egg, the zygote, or the fetus, or some say the soul comes in after the child is born or at the point of birth, or some say maybe a year later. There's some pretty interesting esoteric information about silver cords and lifelines and at what point does the soul inhabit uh, the human being. But ancient Christians did not have that concept. Ancient Christians believed in what is called the preexistence of the soul. And when I say ancient Christians, I'm not talking only about the average guy on the street. I'm talking about the founders of the first Christian churches, the founder of the Catholic Church in Rome. People like Origen, who I mentioned in our newsletter this week, who was born in the second century A.D., uh, lived until about 280, uh, from about 180 till about, I think, 240 or 250 AD. One of the fathers of the Catholic Church, who was a pantheist in many ways, you might say a pagan, in that he believed in the preexistence of the soul. Many of the other church fathers, St. Augustine, believed in the preexistence of the soul. In other words, the idea that 
conception was an opportunity for a soul to leave heaven, if you will, heaven, the beginning place, the reservoir of all souls since the beginning of time, and incarnate into a human body. And then part of that belief, of course, is reincarnation. And you might say, wait a minute, Michael, are you telling me early Christians believed in reincarnation? Yeah, they they actually did. In the pre-existence of the soul, in the transmigration of souls, not only human reincarnation, many early Christians believed, as many in Eastern philosophy, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism, and Shintoism, and Jainism, and a lot of other Eastern philosophies, transmigration is reincarnation across species, so that you could be... uh, a dog in one life and a cat in another life and a human being in another life and uh, a cockroach in another life and it's all part of your karma you know so whether you think of it as the transmigration across species or simply the reincarnation of a so-called human soul over and over again early christians those closest to the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, believed in the preexistence of the soul and the transmigration of the soul. There's just no question about it, except that you would never know that if you attended church. If you're a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian, any Protestant or Catholic, you would say, no, that's heresy. The, the What? The pre-existence of the soul? Uh, reincarnation? Are you kidding me? That's some Eastern philosophy. Christians don't believe that. Well, they did for hundreds of years. And you might say, what happened? Indeed, what did happen? And why did these beliefs then go underground and into secret societies represented by the symbols of sacred knowledge that we'll be talking about today, like the goddess, Athena or Minerva, the liberty cap, the secret destiny of the United States of America is envisioned by people like Lord Francis Bacon and and Sir Walter Raleigh, some of the early British explorers who were not Catholics, per se, and actually came from these mystical traditions that you may think of as Freemasonry, but within Freemasonry there has been a more elevated group of more enlightened organization that took the principles embodied in Freemasonry to the next degree, the higher level, and these are the Rosicrucians. And there are those who pull upon uh, the Kabbalah, the mysticism of the ancient uh, Hebrews, and there's also hermetic alchemy that's rolled into this as well. This is the mysticism of Hermes, or Toth, as he is sometimes known, Mercury in the Roman pantheon of gods, who 
by all appearances, was a very real fellow or maybe even a series of teachers from, it's believed, the Atlantean era that accounts for the monuments and the secret knowledge of the ancient Egyptians. So in the Renaissance area in Europe, there was a rediscovery and a a resurgence of understanding about the ancient hermetic alchemy of Hermes and the Egyptians of the Kabbalah. Remember, Moses was raised by the Egyptians. He was raised in Egypt. He understood their philosophies. And Kabbalah goes back about as far as Judaism does go back to the 12th or 13th centuries B.C., right? This is a long time ago. And then you have these other mystical traditions that I've referred to as Rosicrucianism, and they have many different orders from the Priory of Sion to the Knights Templar and the Demolay, and it goes on and on. But they're all basically Masons, Freemasons, or Rosicrucians. They're related in that they're part of a tradition of secret societies that have used symbols to represent concepts that were basically lost or banned, outlawed, proclaimed to be heresy by the Catholic and later the Protestant or Protestant churches. And having mentioned the first two, reincarnation and the preexistence of the soul, the third is pacifism. And this is the of the three, this is this is probably the most clear and the most obvious. You may even remember that there was a time when Christians were slaves in Rome, and uh, they were often encouraged to fight as gladiators for the entertainment, the bread and circuses. And this is uh, what what Italians did for kicks. There was a lot of poverty. The empire is crumbling. People don't have enough to eat, but sometimes they'd be fed if they went to the circus, if they went to the Colosseum. They would give the Christians who were imprisoned, who were slaves, often the men were given an opportunity to fight as gladiators. And if they won, if they were good at it, they could actually win their freedom. Now, you might think, wow, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, there's an opportunity. That's my only chance. You know, I don't remember uh, Africans who were brought to the United States as slaves being given their op- any opportunity to win their freedom. But uh, they were told by the Roman officials, hey, if you do well as a gladiator and fight and kill and do it dramatically and entertain the masses, you can actually win your freedom. And still, by and large, the Christians refused to fight. They were pacifists. They understood the teachings of Jesus. Now, we've lost that somehow. We've lost reincarnation. We've lost the concept of the preexistence of the soul We've lost the idea that a Christian is a pacifist 
and can do no harm and should resist evil and turn the other cheek. It's amazing to me, especially in this area of pacifism, to hear a mainstream Christian uh, try to rationalize or justify war and violence and their military service and the, quote, need, unquote, to fight terrorism with drones and bombs and you know, bullets and an assassination, and you have uh, ministers and priests that are out there blessing battleships and blessing bombs. It's just like so horrifically bizarre if you think about it. And to call the Savior the Prince of Peace, you know, the Lamb of God, the Shepherd, uh, all of these references to peace all of this literature that says, yeah, that's, that's what he was teaching. You know, resist not evil and turn the other cheek and forgive your enemy, love your enemy, actually. And yet today Christians go, well, he didn't really mean that. You have to take everything literally except this part about the pacifism and, oh, yeah, that born-again stuff, that didn't really mean, <laughs> you know, we're not being literal in those areas. People will say, you must take this scripture literally, except for these parts over here. That means faith can literally move a mountain, right? I don't think so. Christ goes on about why he teaches in parables. Matthew talks about it. And he says, basically, I, I, I have to use symbols and metaphor because there's no way you would understand me if I just spoke out, if I just told you what it was really all about. So those are the three concepts that I wanted to present to you that we're going to talk about in the uh, premium training that follows in just about five minutes. And also some of the sacred concepts. We'll talk about the caduceus, for example that wand or that stick with the two snakes around it and the eagle at the top. We'll talk about the eagle, why it symbolizes freedom and liberty in the United States and the role of the goddess Athena Minerva in statues on the top of the Capitol or in New York Harbor, the Statue of Liberty. We'll talk about E Pluribus Unum, and what does it mean, out of many, one? What is that a reference to? We'll talk, as I said, about the hermetic alchemists and about the relationship of alchemy to mystical Christianity and a number of other really cool ideas that connect the idea of resurrection in the traditional Christian sense to the alchemical concept, comparing how water being turned into wine is pretty much the same allegory as turning lead to gold, bringing heaven to earth, and transmuting evil to goodness or ignorance to understanding. So I hope you can join us. Thanks very much for being with us, and uh, enjoy your day today. Tell your friends about the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii.